Welcome to the Effective Church Leaders Podcast, where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive. I'm your host, Carrie Holton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Becky Holton. Yes, you are. Before we begin, let's review what we talked about in a recent podcast. We're talking about moral failure. We're talking about the challenging topic of moral failure among church leaders. In the last podcast, we defined the term, and we discussed how this is a significant problem that deserves our best in helping all concerned when this tragedy occurs among our church leaders. Because we believe it is better to build a fence at the top of a cliff, not a hospital at the bottom, in this session, we want to begin building together a preventative fence for our ministers. Well, for all of us, actually. Because we would never ask a minister to do what we ourselves are not willing to do. So, in this episode, we want to talk about prevention. Yes, and um, I, I, I like your analogy about the fence at the top and not a hospital at the bottom, because that is what this whole po- podcast is about. We, we want to try to take steps that help our ministers, as well as ourselves, to not reach that point of just complete devastation. And in our last podcast, we cited Howard Hendrick's study, where he interviewed 246 men in full-time ministry who had experienced an adulterous relationship, moral failure, within a two-year time frame of each other. And what was interesting about all of his interviews, the extensive interviews, he discovered four common characteristics of their lives, which he believes set them up for moral failure. And let me just briefly mention these. Number one, none of the men were involved in any kind of real personal accountability. Number two, each of the men had all but ceased having a daily time of personal prayer, Bible study, and worship. Number three, more than 80% of the men became sexually involved with the other woman after spending significant time with her, often in counseling situations. And number four, without exception, every single one of the 246 men had, were convinced, absolutely convinced, that this sort of fall would never happen to them. Okay, I think this is a good place to start, hon, uh, with Hendrick's four characteristics. As we talk about preventive steps, this, this is a good place. Uh, the preventive steps that could have been implemented to safeguard our church leaders. So, We're going to talk in more detail about these four characteristics of those who, in their study, were committing moral failure. The first one was uh, having no personal accountability. Would you elaborate on that? Yes, and we want to invite our listeners to think um, themselves about what steps could be implemented to sidestep some of these uh, pitfalls for our ministers. And this first one of personal accountability is a very important one. You know, uh, Satan lives in darkness, and and isolation is where lies live in secrets. So our ministers need a safe group of people, a community that, in other words, has their backs as to the evil one's presence in their lives. I think ministers especially need at least one person that really knows them, really loves them, and is a deeply spiritual person and will speak truth to them. 
And it's a place in this relationship where sin can be confessed. And it's a relationship that's not connected to their livelihood. Some ministers are fearful that if they share a sin or a problem that they're experiencing to uh, church leaders, shepherds, that that threatens their livelihood, their job security. So this needs to be someone that is not connected with that. Um, And also, just to recall that stress and isolation, sometimes boredom from the routine, uh, computers, devices, they easily put our ministers at risk for moral failure. And there needs to be someone that they can be accountable to when all of those factors are high in their lives. I really like your suggestion that every minister needs at least one person that they trust, uh, a person who is safe, and uh, better a person who is out of town and not related to their ministry right there where they are. Uh, someone that they can uh, talk to and share their innermost uh, feelings with and someone who will check on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of an accountability partner. I really like that suggestion. It cannot be a yes man, so right. to speak. It can't be the person that um, is not courageous and themselves is not a spiritual person. It has to be someone that will will that is willing to ask those questions. What are you doing in your quiet time? And we'll get to that one in just a minute. And how are you doing with all the stress? And ask those hard questions. And someone who dares to speak truth to them. Absolutely. Okay. And you mentioned something that I want to hear more about. You talked about computers and devices. Uh, are there computer programs that might be able to help? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good computer programs out there that help monitor computers. Um, one that I'm aware of, some of our listeners may be aware of better ones, and I'd love to hear what those are. But one that I'm aware of is called Covenant Eyes. And you, um, the minister would ask their accountability person uh to be the person that they sign up that will get an email from them um, if they go to a site they shouldn't go to. Okay. So, for example, if you were my accountability person and I was and I started surfing on some sites I shouldn't go to, you would get an email from Covenant Eyes saying this is a site that your your accountability partner has been going to. And if we have that agreement with each other, then the next thing you do is you pick up the phone and you call and say, what's going on? Good. Well, we all need someone to whom we are accountable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about this second character, characteristic. Now, we're talking about these 246 men mm-hmm. who experienced moral failure, and Hendricks found four common characteristics. So let's talk about the second one, which mm-hmm. was a, a no personal study, no personal quiet time, a not having a deep relationship with God. You want to elaborate? Yes, I do. And as you know, um, purity is cultivated by loving and spending time with the Lord. And these ministers uh, had they just had left the room on that one because we're not talking about preparing sermons and classes. That's different. We're talking about this personal time with the Lord where you are alone with him and you're not preparing for anything other than asking God to prepare your heart. And that's where purity is going to be cultivated because I believe scripture and prayer are guardrails for our minds and they help prevent spiritual exhaustion and depletion with 
sets us up for all kinds of sin to enter in. And this would also mean these men and ministry had not been taking Sabbath rest. Uh, they were just going, 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 going. And a Sabbath rest, whether it's a day, a couple of days a month, this is absolutely essential for ministers to focus and renew in their time with God. Yes. Well, this is a good time for us to talk about very briefly the importance of having this spiritual discipline of a daily mm-hmm. quiet time with God. Absolutely. And I, I like what you say. This is not sermon preparation. This is not lesson preparation. This is just an open Bible, a time of prayer and conversation with God, just one-on-one. Right. Okay. That is so different. And if a minister has stepped away from that, then they are depleting um, their own spiritual lives and what they're giving is going to be hollow. If they step away from that, they are more vulnerable. To Satan's wiles. Yes, and when they're not able to teach other people, then they're not going to teach things that will help um, keep their members from risk in situations like this as well. Okay. Let's talk about this third characteristic. Uh, Hendrick said it was time with the opposite sex in counseling. What, what is this all about? Yes, this was a really big statistic that more, to, more than 80% of the men had become sexually involved having the affair with someone after spending significant time with them, in a, often in a counseling situation. It wasn't all counseling, but it was alone time with someone in the opposite sex. Sometimes it can even be Bible studies when no one's around. It can all start out very very, very innocently, but there are not enough safeguards for the um, transference of emotions sometimes to happen. And I, I would really recommend church leaders ask themselves these questions as they hire ministers and as they find ways to care for and protect their ministers from moral failures. Uh, questions like this, have we established guidelines and boundaries that that we have here in our congregation that will encourage our minister and that we will all agree on in terms as it relates to time spent with the opposite sex, especially time alone? Um, are there warning signs that our ministers need to know about so they can recognize if they're flirting with danger? Um, what role does our minister's spouse play, especially as it relates to Bible studies of the opposite sex and one-on-one conversations and listening to people's problems? Um, what can we do as church leaders to help support our minister's marriage? Good. All good questions. You know, I'm reminded of something that, uh, that you found not too long ago that uh, the minister of the Saddleback Church, Rick Warren, had put together. He and the leaders of the Saddleback Church have taken a very strict stance for their staff. Yes. As Christian leaders, Rick maintains that they need to be above reproach, and we would agree with that. For Paul wrote, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. That's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 from the message. I like that. I like that translation because it just strips any arrogance away. We are not exempt. No one is exempt. No. So let me just quickly read uh, these 10 commandments that Rick Warren put together to help the Saddleback staff members maintain moral integrity. Number one, thou shalt not go to lunch alone with the opposite sex. Mm Mm-hmm. Number two, thou shalt not have the opposite sex pick you up or drive you places when it is just the two of you. Number three, thou shalt not kiss any attendee of the opposite sex or show affection that could be questioned. 
I'll just a little sidebar there. These first three, Rick Warren would say, did not apply to an unmarried staff member, of course. Okay. But these first three refer to married staff members, and then the rest of them apply to all staff members. Very good. Okay, here's number four. Thou shalt not visit the opposite sex alone at home. Right. Number five. Thou shalt not counsel the opposite sex alone at the office, and thou shalt not counsel the opposite sex more than once without that person's mate. Refer them. Yes. There's that word again that we've talked a lot Mm -hmm. about, refer. Number six, thou shalt not discuss detailed sexual problems with the opposite sex in counseling. Again, refer them. Mm -hmm. Number seven, thou shalt not discuss your marriage problems with an attendee of the opposite sex. Number eight, thou shalt be careful in answering emails, instant messages, chat rooms, cards, or letters from the opposite sex. You know, um, a man that I appreciate very much that I work with, he t- he's an elder for the congregation where they attend, and he said whenever he's replying back in an email to a female member of their congregation who's asked about something, he always signs it, his name and his wife's name. Oh, okay. Yeah. Here's number nine. He copies her into it most of the time. Good, good. Well, that's a good safeguard. Mm-hmm. Number nine, thou shalt make your secretary your protective ally. Oh, I like that one too. Mm-hmm. And here's the 10th commandment. Thou shalt pray for the integrity of other staff members. I like that. Very good list. You know, this list started because there was moral failure on the staff. And so they said, we've got to figure this out. And since implementing this and being very strict about it and some in our culture today would make fun of them and put them down but it has been extremely effective it's a zero tolerance you know that and they pray for each other and they're sincere about helping each other stay pure and as Ephesians 5 says they're they're just trying to avoid any hint of sexual immorality. I like that scripture, and I'm reminded of that scripture when I think about those Ten Commandments. Among you, there must not be even a hint yes. of sexual immorality. And you know, isn't it interesting when you think about that, how things would be so different if we, if we thought about that? We don't want anybody to think there's something going on, and we're going to go the extra mile to make sure they don't think that. Right. Okay, we're ready for number four. Uh, Share with us the fourth characteristic of those 246 men who who experienced moral failure. Yes, and this is an interesting one. This is the one that every one of the men said they did not think this would ever happen to me. Mm. You know, I used to teach um, developmental psychology, and this is called adolescent thinking, and it's actually called invincibility fable thinking. Mm. We see that in, in those of us that have had teenagers. We've seen that when, you know, anybody else might get caught, but they won't get caught. Someone else could drive 90 miles an hour down the interstate, and they wouldn't be in a wreck but they would be in a wreck, but they wouldn't. And that's the type of thinking that these ministers were having. And I think what happens is that there gets to be an elevation of pride and it blinds us to our own weaknesses. And then we get blindsided to this reality of entitlement and ego takes over. And this just is a very common way of thinking for those who are at risk for 
or falling into immorality. And this one to me is challenging. How do we help ministers to not get involved in this invincibility fable thinking where nothing will happen to that, uh, to me? How do we help them see the gap between the reality and their egocentric thinking? And how do we help them develop this perspective in thinking that looks at reality And I would probably tag this one back to the accountability piece at the very beginning. If we have an accountability person who's walking with this minister, and if they start hearing this kind of thinking, uh, they can speak truth to them. Yeah, it reminds me of a scripture somewhere in 1 Corinthians. He that stands, take heed lest he fall. Mm -hmm. It can happen to anyone. In just a moment, we will return to our conversation regarding measures church leaders may take to prevent moral failure. But before we do, please permit me to say a word about the Effective Church Leaders Workshop. This is a workshop for church leaders who long to lead more effectively, but who may feel ill-equipped and at a loss as what to do to help their church thrive. If you're interested in learning how to build trust, manage conflict, gain organizational clarity, embrace accountability, and focus on results on your church leadership teams, we would be most happy to help. We're talking with other churches now about booking a workshop at their location in 2020, and we would be happy to talk with you about doing the same for your congregation. To start a a conversation on how we might be able to help, just go to EffectiveChurchLeaders.com and let us know of your interest. We'll respond to your request post-haste. I'd like for us to go a little bit deeper into some of these preventative steps and share some information. And we're calling this the red flag zone because there's some research out there that's very helpful and practical as it highlights specific warning signs and red flags. The first one that I want to mention is uh, some research that was done uh, by a researcher named Eric Geiger in 2018. And he came up with what he believes are really five solid warning signs of moral failure. So again, church leaders that are working with ministers, accountability people, these are things that we need to be on guard uh, and the ministers need to be on guard and so do the people that are walking with them. The first warning sign is considerable amount of time away from home. Mm-hmm. Second warning sign is a sudden obsession with being fit. And we've seen that, and we seem to have walked with a lot of people through moral failure, and we've noticed that, that all of a sudden, and that's not to say if someone starts living more healthily and becomes more fit, that they're at risk for failure. This is the sudden, and it's obsession with being fit. Uh, Another warning sign is if in conversation, you rarely hear this person, this minister, talking about their spouse. It's like they're just a non-topic in their lives. Number four is flirtatious behavior. Sure. Um, Behavior that we start seeing that that's just a little crossing some lines there. Mm -hmm. That is a big old red flag. And the last one that uh, Geiger mentioned was pornography addiction. And that goes back to the accountability piece, the covenant eyes on their computers, other where there is uh, not even to the level of addiction. But if you're at a level of addiction, you are in a significantly massive danger zone. Those are some good warning signs you mentioned. 
You know, Tom Rainer shared some significant research this year, 2019, mm-hmm. when he published an article entitled Reasons Long-Term Ministers Still Fall. And here were some of the reasons. Isn't that interesting? I think when I, uh, you were telling me about that, when I, re- I think that ministers that have been uh, in place a long time, they should be covered. They're good. Right. But he says no. He says no. He says, uh, for example, success leads ministers to let their guard down. Mm-hmm. And again, it's the idea that, well, this can never happen to me. Right, right. Uh, another warning sign is that the longer a person is in ministry, uh, the more possibility and the more opportunities to fall. Mm-hmm. Now, we might think about that. Well, you, you spend time with more people. You have more opportunity uh, to get wrongly connected with someone. So longer ministries demand more awareness of falling, not less. And there's also more tr- trust given when you've been someplace for a long time. And so that trust can be misused. Good point. He also said that some ministers in long-term ministry have learned to hide in the ministry. Yes. You know, it could be that they hide behind uh, their speaking abilities Mm -hmm. or they hide behind their charisma or personality. Yes. Uh, Another another, uh, shared insight, uh, they never really develop spiritual disciplines. Uh, There we are again. There we are again. So important for us to develop a quiet time with God and some other spiritual disciplines that we could talk about. And, you know, we would never, ever assume to ask a minister how their spiritual disciplines are. That's right. an assumption, and that puts them at risk when we make that assumption. Good point. Uh, he also mentioned that uh, some people in long-term ministry had, had worn down their defenses, which made them especially vulnerable mm-hmm. to moral failure. You know, emotional fatigue can lead to poor choices. I think that's his thinking there. Yes, and spiritual fatigue, I would say, as well. When you're always working with people and sometimes they continue to make bad choices, it's exhausting. Yes. And you just get worn out all the way around and your defenses drop. Yes. And just one more characteristic I want to mention here is that uh, people in long-term ministry, if their own marriages have been strained, there's the possibility that they could experience moral failure and this would be where a spouse might often feel uh, second place. A spouse might feel like uh, she is not a priority or he is not a priority. Uh, neglect puts both at risk. And, of course, the first priority should be the spouse, mm-hmm. should be the marriage. Mm-hmm. But sometimes ministry kind of takes a life of its own mm-hmm. and becomes a number one priority. And that's when the marriage can become strained and then when the minister himself can become vulnerable to moral failure. Absolutely. And that's a hard one right there because usually both husband and wife are all in to the ministry and they're willing to make sacrifices. And so it's hard sometimes to determine when those sacrifices are being detrimental to the minister's own sexual purity and to the marriage as well. Good. I want to mention one one last section before we close our podcast. And this is some really um helpful information and research that was designed by two researchers named Amber and Goodlow in 2018. And this research defined questions for missionaries to think about in evaluating themselves if they were sexually struggling on the field. Of course, we believe that these are excellent, excellent suggestions, not just for missionaries, but they also apply to everyone on the ministry staff as well. So, these are uh, accountability questions that a minister can use for himself to hold himself accountable. And we'll just read through these. Um, 
Do I lie about my sexual thoughts, activities, or behavior? Another question is, has my need to view pornography or read uh, explicit novels interfered with or taken precedent over other personal and professional commitments, hobbies, and relationships in my life? And by the way, um, just a side, side remark, most people underreport how much pornography they're viewing and how much other sexual thoughts and activities are in their lives, and that is just a red flag we'll throw out there. Oftentimes when people report this information we, in a counseling situation, we automatically can almost always double it, and sometimes it's far more than that. So these two questions will call for internal personal integrity in answering these questions. Good. Another question ministers and missionaries need to ask themselves, am I unable to stop despite multiple attempts or negative consequences with some unhealthy behaviors? Do I have guilt and shame associated with my thoughts and behaviors? Has someone else in my life mentioned I might be a problem or be experiencing a problem? Sometimes a spouse or someone else that knows us might tell us, you've got a problem with this. And if someone else is noticing and mentioning it, we need to pay big attention to that. Right. Am I consistently and intentionally doing things in secret? That's a big one. Am I using sexual fantasies or behaviors to relieve uncomfortable feelings? Those are, those are unhealthy um, stress management tactics. For a spouse, child, staff member, team member, have this minute, has this minister become excessively withdrawn and appeared to be isolating and using technology more than usual? That's a red flag that people around a minister will notice and should bring up. Okay, hon, those are all great questions. Uh, and I think you've given us a lot of helpful suggestions for how to prevent moral failure. We really hope this information on moral failure prevention has been helpful to you, our listeners. In our next podcast, we want to talk about what if the unthinkable happens? What if sexual allegations are made against a ministry staff member? And then how to handle those, and especially if the allegations are proven to be true. Right. So we want to offer some help to church leaders who may know of sexual allegations against one of the ministry staff, or who are trying to respond to moral failure among their ministry staff. I think there are going to be a lot of church leaders who will appreciate that information. These are hard topics, and uh, we want to try to offer some guidelines because uh, that's all they are, are just guidelines because each is case-specific, but just some ways to try to think through it. Good. So we'll look forward to the next podcast. Okay. Yes, and that's it for today, friends. If you have comments to make on this subject, do please let us know because we value your feedback. And as always, thanks for listening to the Effective Church Leaders Podcast, where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive.